You can go ahead and turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. So we're coming through this, uh, this place in the Scripture, coming through the book of Colossians together. We've been doing that for several weeks now. And today we land under God's sovereignty in chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. I'm going to pray for us before we read it. Anybody else needs to before I pray, let me encourage you to enter into the seriousness of what's about to happen. Okay, we're about to look at the living Word of God. I'm going to pray that we would grab hold of that, that we would see the seriousness of this. I come to you to preach in, in light of the eternity that we all face that's right before us. I come to you out of love and care and a deep burden for Grace Community Church, my brothers and sisters. That none of us, because this is a warning today. We land at the very end in Colossians, at the very end of a warning section of Colossians. And so I got a deep burden for our church that we would lay hold of that warning, that it would hit us deep in our hearts, and that none of us would be left behind in the end. That none of us would forsake heeding this warning and go to hell or waste our lives. I have a burden for that. So enter into the seriousness of this time. As I pray for us, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's beautiful. God, you, you dig into us, Lord, through your word. You search us, God, and you know us. You've done that to us again and again. And Lord, we ask you to do it today. Search us, O oh God. Know our hearts, Lord. Try us. Know our anxieties. See the wicked ways in us, Lord. And lead us into the way everlasting. God, thank you for the warnings of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough. That you care for us. That you warn us. That you set the alarm. And I just pray, God, that you would help us, help us to have ears to hear your warnings today. Love you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this church. Grow us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2. So if you look at verse 20, we're going to read verse 20 through 23 together. So hear God's word. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, refer to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, and asceticism, and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So that's God's word. Let's talk for a minute about the context that this is sitting right in the middle of. The context is this, this is in the middle of a warning section. In fact, it's at the end. What we just read is at the end of the warning section here in Colossians. And really that runs from about Colossians chapter 2 verse 4. All the way to Colossians 2 verse 23. Almost all of Colossians 2 is a warning section that we find here in this letter. So what we see in that warning section is that the Colossian church that Paul is writing to, they are facing various kinds of uh, uh, manifold deceptions are coming at them from all different angles. So let me just give you a taste of that. So if you're in Colossians 2, you can look at verse 4. This is the first mention we really see. Of these deceptions. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So I'm saying these things that nobody will water you down with these persuasive arguments. This is the general warning that he puts out. Then he gets more specific. And look at verse, look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. An empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So he's saying beware of these, these ideologies and these worldviews that lead you away from Christ that aren't rooted in the truth of God's word. Beware of things like materialism and modernism and all the other isms that lead you away 
from Christ. He's saying they're going to they're going to seep in and devalue Christ to you. They're going to seep in and devalue the scriptures to you. So watch out for these things. Do you hear the warning in that? Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And Dustin taught on that passage last week, and he summarized it in a way I thought was helpful. He said, beware of a Christless approach to the Bible. Don't let them take you captive with these things. Beware of a Christless approach to the Bible. That's the warning here. Look at verse 18, another warning. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Again, Dustin summarized this last week as beware of a Bibleist approach to Christ. Beware of a crisis approach to the Bible, and beware of a Bibleist approach to to Christ. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 20 through 23, which is our section today. And this is the end of the warning. And there's still this tone of alarm. Wake up. Be alarmed about the deceptions that are around you. So you hear things like this in verse 20 and verse through, through verse 23. He says, Why? Why do you submit to these regulations? That according to human precepts and, and human teachings, they have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Why do you submit to these things? Do you hear the tone of warning that's in that? And so the deceptions that we see here in this warning section are manifold. They're various. There's a variety of errors that you can walk into. But the weapons... That are put before us to fight against these deceptions. They're consistent and common throughout this letter. In other words, you have a variety of deceptions. But let me put the weapon before you that will, that will protect you and fortify you against the enemy. And what we see throughout Colossians, and especially in this warning section. What we see is, is, is two things. One, be Bible saturated. And two, be Christ saturated. There's your weapons. Your weapons to not fall to all the variety of deceptions is be Bible focused and Christ focused. Be Bible consumed and Christ consumed. Now I want you to see that, that we see this throughout this letter to the Colossians. For example, chapter 1, when you remember chapter 1 when we were there? And, and he opens up the letter and he says, I pray for you. And then at the end of that prayer, he begins to move into an exaltation of Christ Jesus the Lord that cannot be found anywhere else in the Bible. He says, Christ Jesus, who delivered you from the domain of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Christ Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. Jesus, who by Him all things were created. Things in heaven, things on earth. Principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, it doesn't matter, all of it created through Him and created for Him. Jesus is before all things. Listen to the description. He's before all things. In Jesus, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, Jesus might have the preeminence. He's the fullness of God bodily. He's everything. He's all in all. And so chapter 1 puts Jesus before us like that, like we have never seen before. And that's meant to fortify us against these deceptions that can come in. Do you understand that? That when you have a gaze toward Christ, that you love Him and you adore Him and your heart glorifies Him because you see Him as He is, all these deceptions seem petty. And they fade into the background. And so your weapon, Christ's saturation, that you might see Jesus, that you might know Him. Also, as you keep going, let me show you another one in chapter 2. I want you to see that your weapons are Bible saturation, Christ saturation. Chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I say this in order that nobody, nobody, nobody may delude you. So he begins with the general uh, warning about the deceptions. And before he moves into the specifics about this, the deception, in verse 8, 16, 18, and 20, before he moves into those specifics, 
He says this in verse 6. And I want you to see Bible saturation and Christ saturation is what you're being called to in these verses. Listen. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. It's in Him. It's Christ. Just like you saw Him in glory and your, your heart melted and your eyes saw visions of Christ. He's saying, so walk in Him like that. Rooted and built up. How? In Him. Rooted in Christ. Built up in Christ. This is about Jesus being saturated with who He is and what He is like. But keep going. And established in the faith. Be established in the faith. What are you talking about? The faith. Just as you were taught. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's a, that's a section. That's a, a phrase that drives us back into the scriptures. The faith is that body of doctrine that speaks to us of Jesus Christ our Lord. He says that faith by which you have been taught. The teachings of God found in His Word. So listen. The, the, us being fortified against all the manifold deceptions of the enemy. Is this Bible saturation. This Christ saturation. This is how we go to war. Now to summarize that. I think you have a good summary statement in verse 19. So the verse just before verse 20. Really. Our section today flows out of this. And verse 19 says this. It's really a warning. He says. And not holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now make that into a positive statement. Hold fast to the head. You got all these deceptions coming against you. Listen, church, hold fast to the head. Paul, writing to the Colossian church, you've got manifold deceptions around you. Colossian church, Hold fast to the head. That's a summary statement for be Bible saturated, Christ saturated people that these manifold deceptions don't take you down. Hold fast to the head, which is Christ Jesus, the Lord. So then what should the Colossians do? They come out of this warning section of the scripture, this warning section of this letter to them. What should they do? What should what should Grace Community Church do about these manifold deceptions? Well, you have a defensive strategy, which is important, right? Your defensive strategy of you need to know and understand all the different kinds of errors and deceit that are coming against you. The obvious ones and the more subtle ones that might be tempting you right now. You need to know and understand those. You need to see how verse 8 of chapter 2 and verse 16 and verse 18 applies into our lives even in this day. But that defensive strategy is insufficient. To truly be fortified against the enemy, you need an offensive strategy of moving forward into a Bible-saturated life, a Christ-saturated life that keeps you from all the manifold deceptions that would come against you. Now, last week when Dustin, when he taught, uh, and he used those two phrases, those two phrases uh, that one deception is a Christless, it's a Christless devotion to the Bible, a Christless Pursuit to the Bible. And then the other one was a Bibleist pursuit of Christ. I remember writing out to the side. That's what I wrote out when he when he said, when I saw that on that sheet, he said that that day. I wrote to the side, therefore, since those are the since those are the deceptions, therefore, be Bible saturated, Christ saturated people. And so we come to verse 20 through 23, and our warning in verse 20 through 23 is, is a slightly different. Uh, deception. The charge is going to be the same. Fortify yourself with Christ and God's word. It's going to be the same. But the deception is just a little bit different. I want you to think about it like this. If chapter 2 verse 16 is a Christless devotion to the Bible. And, and 2.18 is a Bibleist devotion to Christ. Then two, chapter 2 verse 20 through 23 is going to be a Christless and Bibleist devotion to human religion. A Bibleist and Christless devotion to human religion. Now, as we look at this whole warning section, I want us to think about something real quick. Think about this with me. We think about this warning section in Colossians. What do we know about the Colossian church that's receiving this letter? What do we know about the Colossian church that's receiving this letter? Let me just mention a few things. We know that they want to grow. 
We know that they want to they kill fleshly desires. They want to grow and they want to stop the indulgences of the flesh. We know that about them. Chapter 2, verse 5, Paul speaks of them and he says, I rejoice to see your good order and your steadfast faith in Christ. So he looks and he sees them as warriors standing in the battle against the enemy. That's the way he views them. And so we know this about them. And so, and so we've got growth. They desire growth. I'm getting that from chapter 2, verse 19. Hold fat, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Don't you love that phrase? Grows with a growth that is from God. Don't you want that? Grows with a growth that is from God. They want that. They want that. And then I'm getting the other side of that. If they want to kill fleshly desires, I get that this phrase at the end of verse 23. The very end of verse 23. There's no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Stopping. So grow with the growth that is from God. They want that. Stop the indulgence of the flesh. They want that. The Colossian church desires those things. Now the indulgence of the flesh here, this is the passions of sin. This is desire for sin. Colossians 3 goes on to tell us how to kill it. And it calls it what is earthly in you. That which is earthly in you. Those indulgences of the flesh. So the idea is your earthly, sensual, fleshly satisfaction in this world. And the Colossian church wants to grow with the growth that is from God. And they want to put to death these fleshly desires. And so here, here's Here's why I'm telling you that. They are not a spiritually lazy people. Paul's not writing to a spiritually lazy people. He's not writing to a people that are indifferent towards growth or indifferent towards, towards sin killing. That's not the kind of people that he's writing to. Now, if you think about it, somebody that is spiritually lazy and indifferent towards growth, towards God, they really aren't prone to be deceived by the warnings we see in Colossians chapter 2, right? You think about Colossians chapter 2, somebody comes along and says, you know what? You want to be really spiritual? You got to wash your hands like this. And you got to wash these pots and these pictures like this. And you got to beat your back with one of those chains. Somebody that could care less, they're indifferent about growth. They don't fall to that. They say, I don't care about those things. You get what I'm saying? And so, and so, and so what has happened oftentimes is a spiritually lazy person. Or somebody who is indifferent towards, towards spiritual growth or killing sin. They, they begin to twist these verses that we're in today to feed their own flesh as an excuse for their lack of obedience or lack of passion for God's Word. That has happened. Can you imagine how that would happen with these verses of Scripture that we're in? I want you to think about it like this. Imagine a spiritually lazy person saying, See, see these verses tell me, don't worry about rules and regulations. Don't worry about all, all that stuff. And they're saying it as a way to justify their rebellion towards God and in, in, in being indifferent towards His Word and disobedience to Him. They're just justifying themselves. But the Colossian church was not a spiritually lazy people. It's not the kind of people He's right to. Therefore, to, to take that away from these verses, I hope to, to, to drive that deeper in just a moment, would be to twist these Scriptures. Do not twist God's Word. There are heavy, heavy warnings about twisting God's Word from God's lips Himself. Do not twist the Scriptures to make this an excuse for not having obedience to God and looking to His Word. So these, these are people. So think about it. These are people. They, the Colossian church. What do you know about the Colossian church? They desire spiritual growth. The growth that comes from God. They're standing firm. There are people that want to see sinful desires destroyed. And a people like that can be tempted as they go after their growth. They can be tempted to go after that growth in a wrong way. You understand that? They can be tempted to go after sanctification in a wrong and ungodly way. And the enemy tries to capitalize on these desires. He sees good desires in this Christian church. He sees good desires in them. And he wants to capitalize on that. And move them towards sanctification in a wrong way. Think about it like this. You got Imagine two weapons. Two weapons being put before you for sin killing. Two weapons being put before you to stop and destroy the indulgences of the flesh. Two weapons are put before you. One weapon will destroy the sin and grant you a growth that comes from God. 
And the other weapon promises that, but it's a lie. And it won't give you those things. It's like having a, a, a pea shooter and taking a pea shooter into war. Taking a pea shooter into battle. And so the enemy wants to capitalize on a, on a, a church like the Colossian church that's standing firm, that desires growth, that desires to kill, that desires to bust. He wants to capitalize on them and get them to pick up the pea shooter regulations. The pea shooter weapon to go into battle. And they'll spend their lives on these this, with this pea shooter weapon and they'll realize it didn't work. I wasted my life. And all along I had an option that I could have picked up. This sin killing weapon that would move me forward into battle. So two weapons put before you and Satan is putting before this Colossian church another weapon for their growth. And because of their desire to grow, which is a good thing, they're liable to take up this wrong weapon. So it seems one more thing we know about this church. It seems like, like I said, they're standing firm. Chapter 2, verse 5. They're standing firm. But it seems like they may have taken the initial bait. They might have taken the initial bait put out by the enemy. Listen, listen to what it says here. Why do you submit to regulations? It's like overall you're standing firm. Chapter 2, verse 5. But why are you compromising right here? Why are you submitting to these regulations? It's like they've taken the initial bait. I think that ought to be a warning for us as a church. That however you view this church, I hope Paul, I hope that he would write to us as a church and he would say, you're a church that's standing firm right now. You're standing firm. But, but, but I want us to be warned about partaking of that initial bait that will destroy Grace Community Church and destroy God's name in our midst. Let us be warned about this, this deception. Now, what do we know about this variety? So if I'm looking at verse... Chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. What do we know about this variety, this, this specific part, or this specific angle of the deception? What do we know about it from chapter 2, verse 20 through 23? And I, and I want us to understand this because I want us to avoid this deception like a plague. We've heard the deception in verse 8. We've heard the one in verse 16. We've heard the one in verse 18. And I want us to understand this one too so we can avoid it. So we as a church can run away from it like he wants the Colossian church to do that he's writing to. So first thing we know about the deceitful error that is being warned against in verses 20 through 23 is it's submitting to regulations. It's submitting to regulations that are of human origin. That are of human origin. Look at verse 20. Right in the middle he says, Why? See why right there? Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You say, what regulations? Why? Why do you submit to these regulations? What regulations? He gives a dash. He gives you an example of what he's talking about. Let's skip over the example in verse 21 and go to the end of that dash in verse 22. And it says, according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you submit to regulations? Dot, dot, dot. That are according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you submit to these things? So, so here we're warned about living off of the ideas and the commands of men. The ideas and commands of men rather than a Bible-saturated, Christ-saturated life. This is what we're being warned against here. Let me say it a few different ways. So the scripture just said, why do you submit to regulations according to human precepts and commandments? Let me say it to you a little different way. Why do you come under these human rules? Why do you bow down to man's wisdom? Why do you bow down especially to man's spiritual wisdom? Why do you do that? Why do you heed the advice that is, a, that is human in origin? Why are you submitting to that which is humanly inspired rather than that which is, which is divinely inspired? Why are you doing that? You see what he's saying? Why do you submit to regulations according to human precepts and teaching? I want you to think about this for a minute. When our hearts begin to lean in to human precepts. We begin to lean into this air. We begin to bite the bait of this air. And we begin to lean into human precepts and human teachings. It can show itself in a variety of ways. Okay? So give me an example. 
It can show itself like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, right? Read Mark chapter 7. We're actually going to go there in a minute. Read Mark chapter 7. you got these guys. That, they, that, that people have, they, they've bid the bait here. Okay? They've got all these things about, about washing of pitchers and cups and the ways they wash their hands. It's called the tradition of the elders. And the problem is it ain't Bible. It's not God's Word. And they're trying to hold that over other people. But it's not God's Word. It's humanly inspired, not God inspired. That's one way it looks. Another way it might look, you imagine some of the, these errors in Catholicism of praying to the saints or many other ways, many other traditions of men. That you have this, these things that, that, that they might seem spiritual, they might appear wise, but the problem is they're of human origin, not of God's Word. They're not of God, they're not originated in God's Word. So those are, are ways that it shows itself. But listen, I want to give you a little bit more subtle a little more uh, closer to home version of the initial aspects of you biting this bait. Just a little more subtle, a little more closer to home. I want you to think about this for a minute. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 12. What were those people doing? They said, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. If you think about that verse, what's happening is this. These are good teachers, not false teachers. These are good teachers, but the believers are placing too much weight on human authority and allegiance to a human. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I am of Apollos. Have you fallen to this? This allegiance to human precepts or coming under, put too much weight on human authority. Have you fallen to this, Are you putting too much weight on what a human teacher says to you? Are non-Marks articles pay, playing too much uh, authority in your life? Is somebody else's interpretation of the Scriptures bearing too much weight on your life rather than what you see in God's Word? Are you living WWJPD? You know what that is? What would John Piper do? Is that the life you're living? Are you lean into man? Listen, y'all know, y'all know this about me, and I know this about me and you, that we praise the living God for a multitude of counselors and men that teach God's word. But are you on the initial stages of man's words and authorities and the way to interpret God's word is, is bearing too much weight on you? What about towards your pastors? Towards me and Dustin? Do, do, you, do you put too much weight? We don't want that. We want a church of people, Acts 17, 11, that are Bereans, that if Paul the Apostle preached up here today, that they would search the Scriptures daily to see if what he's saying is true. That's not just suspicion over somebody. That's not what that is. That's you need to own it for yourself. Why do you submit to these regulations of according to human precepts and human teachings? Beware of being too influenced by men or systems of men and not God's word. That's the beginnings of this deception that we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. Now there's some differences in the way that these errors would have lived themselves out in the Colossian church. There's some differences that are there. But some principles are found as we continue to look at this error. Some principles are found there that, that every church and every generation can be warned by. In fact, Paul tends to keep his language, it seems, in more of a, a general sense in that way, probably by the Holy Spirit's leading for that reason. So let's pull out some principles by looking first. I want you to look at the example that's given in this text of Scripture, okay? So the charge, do not, why, or why do you submit yourself to human precepts and regulations? Here's the example that's given in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's the example. This do not handle would have been uh, a little, don't, don't eat. It's a picking up, handling it, to eat it. That's the idea. Don't eat it. In fact, don't even taste it. In fact, don't even touch it. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. I want you to remember that what we're talking about here is not God's command to abstain from something. We're talking about human precepts, human ideas. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. We're not talking about God's command. 
When he says, do not eat of the tree, just for example, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not talking about that command. You need to obey that. We're talking about when a man builds a fence a mile around it and says, you know what? We shouldn't even go near it. And you begin to put the authority and the weight on that fence and not on what God has said. You understand what I'm saying? This is human, human precepts. And so here's a few things I think you can take out of the example. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Here's a few things you can take out of that. One, uh, a d- different kinds of religion that you can fall into. One is a don't religion. So we're going to call it a don't religion. You see, do not three times there. Do not, do not, do not. Why do you submit to these do nots times three? It's a religion of abstinence. It's, it's a, I don't do this and, and I don't do that. Therefore, I'm godly because of what I don't do. Look how godly I am. I'm afraid that too many of us may teach this to our children. Side note, beware of that. That your children wouldn't see just a do not religion. But what about the heart? What about the affections? What about worship for King Jesus and love and hunger for His Word? What about obedience to His Word? Christianity is not just this do not religion. It's a positive religion. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our affections are full for Him. What about that stuff? Pass that on to your children. The don't religion. Also, we see here a warning against external religion. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. He's he's referring to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22 says, referring to things that all perish as they are used. Referring to things that all perish. All these external things that perish as they are used. What is shame? What is shame to spend all this spiritual energy on, on perishables? Things that are just external. They're only external. That's it. But Christianity is not just an external reality. It's not just an external religion. It is an internal thing. It's a religion of the heart. It's a heart aflame for Christ. And I'm telling you, when a heart is aflame for Christ, you you are able to stop the indulgences of the flesh. Another religion here. We'll call it Man-made walls religion. Man-made walls religion. I referred to this a little bit just a moment ago. The Pharisees love to set up this man-made walls religion. And they love to put it on other people and hold other people to it. And the idea here is God, God, let's say, pretend God builds a fence, right? And He says, here's the fence. And you can't come within this fence. And then man builds this man-made wall, you know, maybe a mile away from that fence around it. Because we need to make sure we don't even go near the fence. And, and, and it's okay to have boundaries. But the problem is, the problem, when you begin to treat that man-made fence as if it's God's Word and you place it on other people, that's the problem. So we'll call it man-made walls religion. I want to encourage you, if somebody, you know, the warning to the Colossian church is, why are you submitting this stuff? Why are you letting them do this to you? That's, that's the warning in Colossians. So I say this to you. If somebody does this to you, you need to be a chapter and verse Christian. You give me chapter and verse. Give me God-inspired stuff, not man-inspired stuff. You understand that? You get into verse 23. In fact, let's, let's, let's read verse 23 again. And I want you to notice how... Listen to how spiritual... Adherence to man-made religion can sound. Listen. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Do you get that? These things can appear so wise. This humanly inspired stuff can seem so spiritual. There's a way that seems Right to a man, but it leads to death. And why does it seem so spiritual? Why does it seem so wise? Look at it. Number one, it's self-made religion. It's religious, right? Oh, it looks so religious. Look at them. Look at their religiosity. Number two, it seems so humble. That word asceticism is literally just the word for humble. It's throughout the scriptures. It, It translates humility, even in a good way. So it seems so humble. It seems so religious. It seems so humble. Number three, severity to the body. It seems like extreme discipline. It seems like extreme devotion. I beat my body and make make it my slave. As Paul the Apostle himself said. 
Oh, so this human stuff, it can seem so wise. It can seem so, so spiritual. And that's exactly what makes it dangerous. Because you, you walk into it. You, you bite that bait. You begin to, to look at these man-made, human-made religion that makes you feel so spiritual. And you miss the point. You miss the actual things, the actual weapons that do stop the indulgence of the flesh and do give you a growth that's from God. They draw away your attention. And you feel fine. Because you look so spiritual. You look so, so wise. I want to give you an Old Testament just real quick. You don't have to flip there. I just want to refer to it so you can go back and look at it later. An Old Testament example of this kind of man-made religion like that is, is, is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 through 15. I just want to commit it to your reading later on. 1 Chronicles chapter 13 through 15. Old Testament example. So what happens there is David is he, he wants to he wants to move the Ark of the Covenant from where it is, and he wants to move it into Jerusalem. So he's going to take this ark, and he's going to he's going to move it into Jerusalem. Now, now God, in His God-inspired Word, had given had given instructions about how to do that. If you move that ark, here's how I want you to do it. In God's Word, He had that. David had that. And here he goes, he's going to move that ark and he decides, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put this ark on a brand new cart, let it be driven by oxen, and we're going to take that ark into Jerusalem. And if you read that passage, they've got religious zeal, but, but they've got man's precepts, man's teachings, man's ideas about how to get this done. They've got zeal. I mean, they are celebrating and they are, they're singing and they're, they're doing this task. All these people taking this ark into Jerusalem. But it says in chapter 15, verse 13, after God broke out against them in judgment, it says, because we did not seek him according to the rule, because we did not seek him according to the proper order. So the idea here is, is the, the, the ark begins to topple and Uzzah puts out his hand to stop it and God strikes him dead in that moment. So what's going on here? And this is that picture to me. If you see zeal and you see, you see, you see a, a religious uh, severity to the body, you see all these things that are there. It looks so wise. It looks so spiritual. And yet it's not rooted in God. God inspired stuff. It's a problem. Let me give you a New, Te New Testament example. In fact, you can turn to this one. John chapter 5. New Testament example. John chapter 5. The previous example really was more of a Bibleless devotion to God. This would be more of a Christless devotion to God. John chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 39 and 40. I want you to listen. And think about this, this religiosity. This man-made religion. You search the scriptures. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, those scriptures, that bear witness about me, Jesus, me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are searching the scriptures and man, they look so devoted, don't they? Don't, don't, doesn't it appear so wise? Look at them searching the scriptures. Look at, look how devoted they are. Look how religious they are. But they miss Christ. They miss the point. This is not, this is, this is Christless religion. And that's a possibility. They're not holding fast to the head. Chapter 2, verse 19 of Colossians. They're not holding fast to the head. Go with me now to Mark 7. You know, really, Mark 7. Mark 7 is really the perfect example or a very, very good example of what's happening in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. Okay? Now the reason why, you know, why do you go to Mark 7? Well, you, you got that phrase in Colossians 2 that says according to human precepts and teachings. You can take all three of those Greek words and they are, they are right there, that same phrase, that same phrase in Mark 7. And in fact, both of them are getting it from Isaiah 29 where they quote from the prophet Isaiah. So there's a, there's a commonality to these two passages of Scripture in Mark 7. So let me read Mark 7. We're going to read verse 1 through about 13. I just want to make a few points here. Listen, this is a good description of the error of Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had, had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples... 
ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. So they notice they're eating with hands that are defiled. They're eating with hands that are unwashed. Now I wonder why that bothers the Pharisees. Verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. I wonder where they get that from. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. Where are they getting that from? Holding the tradition of the elders. Holding the tradition of the elders. Sounds like it comes from men. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe. Such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couch. So, so many, many traditions like this rooted Human-made, human-inspired traditions that they that they walk into. So it's traditions. The problem is it's not the word. It's not God's word. Verse five. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, "Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands?" Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with these, you know. Extra biblical traditions that they that they walk in, but notice what they do. They begin to treat it as God's word, as if it carries authority, so that they can look at the disciples and say, "Why don't they do what we do?" And how does Jesus respond to this sort of thing? And he said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites?" Hypocrites. Jesus spoke strongly against this sort of thing. You hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, the Pharisees had external religion, but they missed the heart. Where's the heart religion? But their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Men's words have taken precedent over God's words. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold the tradition of men. Do you do that? Does your life look like I'm here? I'm, I'm clenched. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to humanly inspired things, to human stuff. But I'm leaving God's word, God's divine, divinely inspired words. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Traditions of men put over the commandments of God. He's going to give an example here. Listen to the example. Just one example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. That's God's word. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That's God's word. But you say... If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So here's a syndrome real spiritual, right? Everything I would have given to them is going to God. Man, that seems so spiritual. But what's the problem? No Bible, not God's word, not from him. And he says right here, thus making, verse 13, thus making void the word of God. By your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is just one example of many, many things that you do like that. Is there anything in your life, humanly inspired, of this world, that's making God's word of no effect in their life? Is there anything like that? Are there people trying to make you... you, you uh, feel unspiritual because you don't meet their extra biblical standards. There are people doing that. Well, what do you need to do? Be a chapter and verse Christian. Give me chapter and verse. Where is it at? In God's Word. And don't submit to their regulations. Is what he says in Colossians chapter 2. Do not submit to their regulations. Now, coming under these... As it says in Colossians 2, these human precepts and these human teachings, these, these, these regulations, it's a fruit. I think it's a fruit of not being Bible-saturated, Christ-saturated Christians. The, these, allurement, these are allurements away from God's Word, away from Christ. And, and, it's, and, and you take it and it's like, it's like broken cisterns that hold no water. That's what it's like. Now how does Paul... Warn the Colossian Christians away from this destructive error. How does Paul warn the Colossian Christians away 
from this destructive era. First thing I want to mention is this. He tells them of the impotence of man-made religion. Listen to it. At the end of verse 23. They are of no value. No value. In stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Do you truly see that? Do you truly see the powerlessness of humanly inspired religion? Do you see that? Let me ask you a few questions that might help you think through that. Are you holding other people to human precepts and commandments? Are you holding them to human precepts and human teachings? And if you are, you are wasting your time. Don't waste your life on these things and call it ministry. If you're holding other people to humanly inspired things and not the divinely inspired Word of God. Let me give you another question. Are you allowing others to hold you to a Bibleless, Christ-ignoring standard? And if so, stop being intimidated by these things. Stop being intimidated by these spiritual umpires that Dustin spoke of last week from Colossians chapter 2. Another question similar. Are you holding yourself to extra biblical standards because you're looking at other people and not looking at Christ and His Word? See, sometimes this can happen inadvertently, Right? You got somebody that's doing a certain thing and, and the church, the, the people around are too busy looking at each other and what he's doing and what she's doing rather than rooting their authority in God's word. What does God say in his word rather than looking around at everyone else? The next thing you know, you feel like you're being held to a standard that you're not being held to. Are you doing that? And if so, stop. Second thing he does here at the very beginning of the verse, verse 20, is, is Paul begins to remind them of who they are in Jesus. He reminds them of who they are in Christ. Look at the verse, verse 20. Love it. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, as you stop there, who are you in Christ? You died to the elemental spirits of the world. As if you were still alive in the world. Think about that phrase. What if somebody told you that? As if you're, you're still, you're acting like you're still alive in this world. Isn't that an amazing phrase? You died to the elemental spirits of the world. You, you died to the world and all, all the spiritual hosts of wickedness that rule this world. You're dead to it. In Christ Jesus, with Christ, His crucifixion upon the cross, you died with Christ to the world and to the elemental spirits of this world. And you can't act like you're still alive in this world. And we saw this in Colossians 2, verse 11 through 15, when it spoke about, it said this about the Christian. Listen, every Christian, you were buried with Him through baptism and the death. You were, when Christ died, His death is your death. The old man crucified with him. That's what he tells us in chapter 2, verse, about verse 12 or 13 there. And if you truly see that, it has ramifications for your life. Okay, so think about this. The Christian, for every Christian, there's been a fundamental shift that has happened for you. Your life, your life has fundamentally changed in such a way that it changes everything about your life. You died to the world. You can't act like you are alive in this world. That's the fundamental change. And let's be clear about what this means. At one time, you were alive to the world. You were alive in this world. The, the world's rebellion to Christ was your own. The world's rebellion to Christ was your rebellion. You were enslaved to the sin of this world. You were enslaved to the ruler of this world, Satan and his demons. You were enslaved to them and you could do nothing about it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you are dead to the world and its evil ruler. Dead, meaning, meaning unresponsive, a dead person there. Unresponsive to the world, unfeeling towards the world. This means you are no longer enslaved to the sin of this world. You're no longer enslaved to the ruler of this world, Satan and his demons. Now how, how does that thought move a Christian away from Bibleless, Christless religion of man? How does that thought move them away? And I want you to think about it like this. Because he, he wants you to remember this. Okay, Paul wants us to remember this. If you were still in this world, 
it would make sense that you trifle with the earthly, worldly, humanly things. Okay, that would make sense. If you were still alive in this world, it makes sense to see you pick up those peace shooter regulations and try to go to war. It would make sense to see you pick up, if you were still humanly, that you pick up these human precepts and teachings. That would make sense if you were still alive in this world. But the Christian is not of this world. He's dead to it. He, the Christian life is a life that is otherworldly. Think about it. Why? As if you were still alive in this world. The Christian life is otherworldly. And the otherworldly Christian needs otherworldly resources for growth. They need the divinely inspired Word of God, not human precepts. They need visions of Christ and all His glory, not peace shooter regulations, not human regulations. I want that to settle on you as a church. All of us as a church. But the fact that you're dead to the elemental spirits of this world means something in the way you live it out. Application, let me close here. I want to call us in to picking up the weapon. The only weapon that will truly give us growth. A growth that comes from God. And truly give us the ability to stop the indulgence of the flesh. And here's the weapon. I've already said it. Chapter 2, verse 19. Holding fast to the head. That's Jesus Christ. That's the weapon. Holding fast to the head. You want to grow with the growth is from God? You want to kill sin? There it is. Holding fast to the head. So Grace Community Church, do it. Hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to the head who is Jesus. And as I've been emphasizing, that can be broken down into two, two descriptions here. Of you holding fast to the head. It can be broken down like this. Bible saturated walk with God and Christ saturated walk with God. Bible saturated, Bible focused, Bible consumed, Christ saturated, Christ focused, Christ, this, this is you holding fast to the head. So, Grace Community Church, be, be a Bible saturated people. Think about it for a minute. What are you doing with God's Word? What are you doing with God's Word right now? It's His very Word. It's words from the mouth of the living God. How are you treating God's Word right now? There's no way around this when it comes to growth and godliness. Let all that you do be founded on the Word of God. Let all that you think find its origins in the Word of God. Let all your opinions, all your actions, let them find justification in God's Word. Hold everybody that speaks to you about the things of God, about anything, about doctrine, about parenting, about anything. Hold anyone that speaks to you about these things. Hold them to the standard of Scripture truth alone. Be a what saith the Scripture Christian. Be a chapter and verse Christian. How are you doing at this? Are you holding tightly to God's Word? Are you a chapter and verse Christian? Are you submitting everything? Everything you hear, everything you feel, everything you see, everything you think. Are you submitting it to the Scripture, to God's Word? This is a call for you to hate some things. If you're going to do this, you must hate some things. You must despise worldly wisdom. You must despise human precepts and traditions and these things that, that begin to take over and make void the Word of God. You must hate these things. This worldly wisdom. This is a call to a daily pursuit of God in His Word. How is that going? How is it going? Are you, are you taking God's Word seriously? Or are you living like a mere human by bread alone? Not merely human if you're in Christ. What are you doing daily? Day in, day out with the Word of God. This is a call to a hungry pursuit of God's Word. A hungry pursuit. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your Word was found and I ate them. And your words became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by your name. Hungry pursuit of God's Word. All that you have done with God's Word this year. 2017, God sees it all. What does He think about? What are you doing with God's Word? So, Grace Community Church, be Bible saturated.
as a fortification, as us being fortified against the enemy's schemes, and also be Christ saturated. This is a this is a call to be Christ saturated. It's a call not to miss the point of the Bible. Don't miss the point of God's word. See the glory of Christ above everything else in God's word. This is a call to seek the presence of Christ continually in your life. The presence of Jesus, who is the person risen from the grave. You might know Him and love Him and adore Him. This is a call to enter into a never-ending pursuit of knowing Him, enjoying Him, worshiping, worshiping Him. Never-ending pursuit of that. Now why is it never-ending? Why is it never-ending? Because our Savior, our Christ is incomprehensible. You have not and you will not ever plumb the depths of His glory and His grace and His majesty and His love. You'll never get there. You'll never know Him as you are. There'll always be more in the unsearchable riches of Christ. So be saturated. Be Grace Community Church, be absolutely saturated with who He is. Who He is. And be obsessed with, I want to know more. I want to know who He is, and I want to know more about Him. His deity, Jesus is God in the flesh. He came to rescue as God in the flesh. His eternality. He's the beginning, He's the end. In fact, He has no beginning and no end. He is forever. He is eternal. He, his immutability. He does not change. When He speaks, it comes to pass every single time. His omnipotence, fullness of power, nothing His hand cannot do. His compassion, that one who is omnipotent. You imagine Him looking at that little, that little widow who lost her son and weeping over that and reaching out His hand and raising her son from the dead. He's full of compassion. That you might know Him. It never ends. Saturated with Christ. Don't let these people pull you away to other things. Away from God's Word and Him. Be saturated with not just who He is, but what He has done. What He has already accomplished. And be obsessed to know more and more and more. The finished work of Jesus at the cross. He was crucified for sinners. We deserve God's wrath. He sucked it all down for us. No wrath left to take. He died in your place. He's your substitute. Dead upon the cross and He screams. It's finished. And then rises from the dead three days later. He has accomplished the work. You might know this and know Him. Be saturated with what He is doing right now. And what He's going to do in the future. And be obsessed about knowing more and more and more. Do you know He's our great high priest right now? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Interceding on our behalf continually. It's the reason that if you're in Christ, you'll be held to the very, very end. Because Christ Jesus, your high priest, prays for you. And He's coming again. And before He comes, He's redeeming a bride to Himself. All over planet earth from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And when He returns, He's going to split the sky. And those who are in Christ are going to rejoice with joy unspeakable. And those who reject Him will burn forever. Be saturated with these things. Be saturated with His presence. Longing for more of His presence. Remember what He said. Behold. What do you think about this? Behold. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, I, Jesus, will come in with Him and dine with Him and He with me. Oh, for more of the presence of Christ in our lives. So just last thing I'll say, I want you to imagine, come out of this warning section in Colossians chapter 2. I want you to imagine Grace Community Church, okay? A people so saturated in the Bible, so convinced that God's Word is the ultimate authority, so obsessed with God's Word, that Satan knows, look, the only way I'm going to lead those people astray is if I twist the Bible. That's the only way it's going to work. Because they are obsessed with God's Word. I'm going to have to twist the Bible to lead them astray. And then, as he goes, as he imagine the Grace Community Church, as he goes to twist the Bible, Grace Community Church, a people so obsessed with Christ and mesmerized by Christ, that it is near impossible to twist these words on us. Bible-saturated, Christ-saturated people for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray for these things. Lord, You have perfect 
and absolute and detailed wisdom about all the, the tactics of the enemy and all the deceptions that are coming against us, God. Lord, we are like ignorant children not knowing the dangers that are all around us. And we admit that, God. I praise you, God, that you've given us some warnings, God. You've, you've led us in certain ways. But Lord, when it comes down to it, we need your protection, oh Lord. And I praise you, God, that you have held us. That you have, you've, you've held us and, and caused us to persevere, Lord. You've loved us, God. You've kept us from the work of the enemy. Thank you, Lord. And God, I just ask you for this church that you would do that more and more, God. That you would keep us from the enemy's schemes. That you would make us aware of them. And God, that you would make us, please, such a Bible-saturated people that all the, the, the human inventions, God, that they would mean nothing to us. God, make us such a Christ-saturated people, Lord. That we love Him and adore Him. God, work that in our souls. And Lord, I believe that when you reveal Christ Jesus, when you reveal yourself to us, it's just what happens in the souls of your children. So God, my prayer is that you would help us to see you, Jesus. High and lifted up and full of glory and majesty and compassion and goodness. Lord, let us see you. Let us see you, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes that we might see. God, let us experience your presence in deep and powerful and intimate ways. Help us, Lord. And I pray this pursuit of you. This pursuit of you would keep us from the works of the enemy. Lord, keep our church. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.